Welcome back, WNST, Towson, Baltimore, and Baltimore Positive. We have had several editions of Election Palooza. This one will be the Palooza of all Paloozas in Election Palooza 4. I think that's an IV, which I may <laughs> or may not have in this this uh, cocktail uh, glass right here. All of it brought to you by Taharka, uh, an incredible new flavor of Taharka for the season. Black is Beautiful is coming Tomorrow at uh, Monumental Brewing, it is a chocolate stout ice cream just in time for uh, chocolate stout season and in time for pumpkin pie latte season. I will be churning the eggnog and the peppermint bark later in the month, and everyone on our panel today will be uh, shipping some Taharka ice cream because they all love Baltimore and social change as well. Our friends at El Guapo, I wore out the shirt today, um, but I am not going to wear out those margaritas. I I could say this is an El Guapo margarita. Or an El Guapo-style margarita. It's in Catonsville. It's brand new. It's open. It's 21228 right across from State Fair. Chicken and waffles for me for breakfast on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be doing it. Fadley's is shipping crab cakes throughout the holiday season. You can pick the day you want them delivered, where you want them delivered. Your cousin in Texas, your friends in California, you can ship those Fadley's crab cakes. And you can do that at Baltimore positive.com. Moeller and Gary Realty here to close deals. Jeff's coming on next week. We're going to talk real estate, uh, talk the market, talk 2021. And Don Moeller, this was your brainchild, uh, bringing all of these astute people into uh, our environment here to uh, argue about politics, one of your favorite things. Do you want to, before introduce them, or do you want to show them your little nerded up electoral college map? <laughs> every morning, y'all, every morning, I My get... Spreadsheet. I get a spreadsheet, so uh, we'll begin with that, and I'll let you bring the panel. And, and, and before, before we introduce them, shall we say that this morning, former Congresswoman Donna Edwards and former Governor Martin O'Malley also have their own little spreadsheet, and what would you say about the totals of uh, yours truly and Congresswoman uh, Edwards and the governor, uh, Nestor. Do you remember? O'Malley said 279. Mueller's got it at 280. I'm willing to split the difference and go home and, and win. And, and Congresswoman Edwards had 280 as well. So we're all, we're all, we're all in need of therapy. Listen, hey, Nestor <laughs> joked that this was my thing. Uh, the, truth be told, I needed to be surrounded by good friends and therapists because this next five days, is going to be an absolute killer. We are pleased to have with us once again the host of the outstanding podcast, Elevate Maryland, Candace Dodson-Reed and Tom Cole, the one and only, a minor detail, Ryan Minor, Lucinda Ware. She's our political operative, right, fresh off the, the, the streets with Senator Amy Klobuchar and currently the uh, Deputy Director of Policy and Campaigns, Democracy Division for the ACLU. And we only ever introduce this next guest as the legendary Mark Steiner uh, of the Steiner Show. And we are waiting. We're also going to be joined special guests tonight as the show proceeds. Delegate Brooke Learman from Baltimore City. Nestor's delegate. She's stopping by to pick up some award because she's so well appreciated in the district and doing great work. But she's going to weigh in as well. Nestor, I, I think where I want to start tonight is to sort of go around and we'll, we will start with Candace. My, my sister called me today and uh, we've had her on before. She is, and I may have mentioned, she's a mental health therapist in Jacksonville, Florida. And she knew, to, knew that Don needed help. And she did know that, reach, but that, yes. that isn't why she called. She called because she and her coworkers 
and people across the nation in her field are truly worried about where we are and where we're going. Part of it obviously being COVID and the stress of COVID and what COVID has done to families. Also recognizing that this election, like none in my lifetime, and, and that to me is not hyperbole, none in my lifetime has engendered such an emotional response that I think she just needed to talk about what's happening in her world, how stressed they feel feel in trying to help folks, and really almost dreading next Wednesday one way or the other. So since it is such an emotional roller coaster, I, I want to turn to all of our panel tonight and say, Candace, five days ago, where are you? How are you feeling emotionally? What, what are you going through with five days to go? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question to start with because it is um, a stressful time that we're in. And I want to say, too, we're in multiple crises, right? Multiple pandemics, right? We have certainly what's going on with COVID. We have what's going on with racial inequality. I mean, we just saw another Black person killed uh, by police officers. Um, we also have the stress of this election. And, you know, many are calling it a historic election. I would fully agree. Um, and, you know, it's just, it feels like kind of the perfect storm where all these things are coming together at once. And, you know, I'm feeling the stress, certainly. Um, I was already feeling the stress and then, and then, you know, sort of worried. I had to at one point turn the news off. I had to turn, the, you know, my phone off and just not look at what was on social media because that's also a piece of this. I mean, social media alone can stress you out. Um, and so I do think um, people are struggling. And I think, um, you know, we're looking at the college at, you know, resources and, you know, things that we can put in place to help folks get through this election either way that it's going to go because we are in multiple crises. And so, you know, I'm stressed. I feel stressed. Um, I'm tired. I'm worn. And these five days feel like, you know, I mean, yesterday I was like, is, we still have six days to go. I'm like, is it not here already? It's, it's, um, it's stressful. And, and I will say this, you know, if Biden wins, um, we're going to need like a healer in chief before um, he can do anything beyond, you know, anything related to, I guess, anything else besides COVID or racial relations, right? Like we're going to need some healing. Um, and that's a heavy load to put on a president. But, um, but I think that's what we're going to need before we can make any other kind of progress in this country. It, it has been a rough, rough time for many people. No, I appreciate that. Lucinda, how about you? How are you? I mean, you have a different experience than the rest of it. You actually went through anticipation, working hard, 20-hour days, and then didn't get the brass ring. You've got that in the rearview mirror. Now you've got 2016, and what happened in the rearview mirror, and five days to go. Where, where are you emotionally at this point? Sure. Um, I, I think I'm in a place of just being numb. I'm not necessarily sad, uh, and I am still a little bit hopeful. Um, I echo all of Candace's sentiments, um, but I think I'm just at a place of being numb. I'm ready for the election to be here. But even if Biden and Harris win, I'm more concerned about the long game in our country. I mean, we have just opened up 
so much emotions as Americans that are not, that's not going to change and we're not going to go back overnight. I actually don't think that we can go back, right? So it's a, what is the plan moving forward? Um, how has this changed us at home as communities culturally in terms of our morals and values as a country? Um, how do we make sure this never happens again? This is all again, depending upon if Biden and Harris win. And then to Candace's point, how do we heal? Uh, so I, I'm just numb. I'm optimistic. Um, but even then, it's, it's a very long road that we have to go as a country to rebuilding. Thank you. Ryan, you've been our, um, you, you sort of have kept us grounded because of your Western Maryland roots. You're, mm. You've been to Florida. Uh, I had a number of people, <clears throat> Ryan, comment to me uh since your last appearance about how your florida story resonated with them it really oh really it really brought the campaign to them and what was on the ground and particularly your mask story i had a number of people say to me man i'll tell you that that really that, that really hit me when ryan shared that so we're we're in and of course everybody's listening now it's almost you get invested with people they want to know i'm gonna start with the hardest question you and your dad talking yet? Not yet. It's going to take a while, but I, I'm thinking after the election. Maybe that's best, right? <laughs> well, well you know, I was going to ask that question, yeah. that when this is over with, there's going to be a side that, as their feelings hurt, we know what that feels like the last uh, 47 months or thereabouts, right? But, but that, that is, how is the other side going to handle it? How's your dad going to handle it? I should say when, if Biden wins. I'm sure he'll be fine, and I'm sure that he just won't want to talk about it. But you know, with with these issues, I think it's uh, it's it's more than just politics. It's it's we if we bring on a psychotherapist, that might be a better session tonight. But right. um, no, you know what? I'm an adult. I'm I'm going to be 35 next month. Some something's got to give. My relationship with my father far transcends politics. I love my dad. I don't care who he votes for. I wish I, I wish he would vote for Biden. He's not going to. And that's the end of it. And family's more important than politics to me. And so one of us just have to bite the bullet. And How are you feeling, Ryan, in the midst of all of this? You've got a family, you've got children, you, you've got another job. Where, where are you with five days to go? I'm, you know, I'm feeling fine. I think that I am I'm, I'm moderately anxious. I was... I was fine completely. Just, hey, what will happen is going to happen, even though I'm scared of what could happen like it did four years ago because we've seen the dramatic downfall of what has happened. But I think a turning point for me, and many of you reached out to me, was uh, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago on a Sunday, I went up to Washington County, back to Boonesboro, and I was recording a podcast with my friend, um, Charlotte Oftenbrink, who is uh, a business owner at Dan's Tap House. And then after that, I got a, all these harassing phone calls where somebody threatened me and my family and it was over politics. And it continued into Monday morning. I've had to go to court twice now. We're going to file criminal charges. I've had to talk to the FBI. So, I mean, that kind of unnerved me when they tell me that they're watching my house. They, they know where I live. They know what my kids look like and they know what my wife looks like. And I think at that point, you just, I, I mean, it sort of scared the hell out of me, to be honest with you. So yeah, I'm a little anxious to be honest with you. No, I think we share it. And those of you 
watching on YouTube, we promised you Delegate Brooke Learman. She has joined us, fresh off having won another award, the often decorated Brooke Learman and, and Nestor's delegate. So, Brooke, welcome, welcome to Baltimore Positive. Brooke, we have a camera. Moody. You can hold the award up if you, uh, if yeah. you have it or not. So. <laughs> So, well, well Brooke, we're, we're going to jump to Tom and Mark in a minute. Let me, let me sort of reset for you what we're doing. Everybody agreed that with five days to go, we all need a group therapy session. So we're really checking in with one another about how everyone is doing mentally and where you are and how you're coping. And I try to keep up with your schedule. You're, you're prolific. I, I assume you're like Nestor. You, you take a cat nap somewhere and that works and then you don't sleep. So how, where, how are you? This has been your life forever, Brooke. Your dad was in it. Your family's been in politics. Looking at 2016, knowing what happened, trying to follow this year, being so invested, where are you mentally right now? And, and what are you doing to get through the next five days? Uh, well, what I'm doing to get through the next five days is staying as busy as possible. So I do not have too much time to think. <laughs> um, that is a strategy that has worked for me for much of my life. And I am continuing it now. Um, so, you know, whether that's making phone calls last night with Women for Biden, which is a group, uh, Maryland Women for Biden, which I helped start with uh, some other great people like Aisha Braveboy and Barbara Goldberg-Goldman or you know, door knocking in Pennsylvania. I'm hoping to go up this weekend and doing election protection on Tuesday. I just, you know, I got to feel like I'm doing something. Uh, last time around in 2016, I was in Pittsburgh for five days with Delegate Maggie McIntosh and a lot of other folks. And, um, you know, for me, I, it's hard because I feel like we've now been um, so 2016 was such a low, low, and it's been so bad for so long whenever we see a positive poll or whenever we see anything positive at all, we sort of brace ourselves and we're like, no, 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 no. Like I can't, that, I can't even look at that because it can't be real and we have to keep working. And that's the right attitude, right? We do need to keep working, but it's also just the stakes feel so high that it's, um, it, it's just, it's a scary time. I mean, I'm, I'm very anxious, you know, for, for the future of our country. And I think one of the issues is that we won't know on election night, right? Like Pennsylvania isn't gonna start counting until late that night and some of their counties won't start counting till the next day. Um, and so I think there is also this sense that I am very concerned about the after effect of the election, right? Not just who's gonna turn out to vote, but what Trump um, and Republican elected officials in swing states are going to do to try to make sure that they win. Um, so I'm very, very, I'm very nervous about all of it. I believe in America. I know we can do it if it's fair and square. It's not fair and square at all right now because of voter suppression. And I'm very worried that Trump and um, Republicans and, you know, else in states around the country will, will do even more to, to damage the vote. Maybe it's a good time to bring Mark in here because, uh, Mark, and I want to get Tom too, but Mark, let's talk about voter suppression because I've spent a large part of the day, whether it was with uh, Governor Martin O'Malley or, uh, you know, and uh, Congressman John Sarbanes all day long talking about this because it really is, it's in front of our faces now. And I know you've talked about this on your show for decades, but the, the notion that we have 10 and 12 hour lines to vote in this country uh, it, it's 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 really gone crazy. It's Orwellian. Well, I mean, we just really can't tell what's going to happen with with the votes. I mean, it, it, they're 
um, what will be counted, what won't be counted, who's allowed to the polls, who's not allowed to the polls, armed men and women at the polls uh, that could be threatening other voters. I mean, all this is, could, could, could be happening. And it's, um, uh, you know, I, we're in a, I was talking about Don's question, you know, I'm anxious, I guess, is a word you can use, but it, you, you, no matter who wins on Tuesday, we won't know, as Brooke is right, we're not going to know on Tuesday, we'll know nothing on Tuesday. Um, the interregnum is the period that's going to be the most stressful period, I think, because <clears throat> Trump will not, will not, uh, uh, will not acquiesce, uh, even if he loses the election. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't, we don't understand, you know, I looked at the poll, the Gallup had a poll today, and the poll said that um, 45% of Americans liked him, Trump, and after the debate, just recently, it's down 46%. Well, that means is that the people who are behind Trump are not going anywhere. That's correct. And, uh, and, 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 and let, let me, let me, and I'm not really sanguine about our political process or system where it is right now that can, that can, that can how it's going to respond to what we're about to face. And um, so I'm extremely worried about where the future may live. I mean, I think I interviewed Danny Sergerson the other day, who's a, West Point grad um, and taught at West Point, served three tours of duty, Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, retired from the military, and he's written a couple of books. Um, and he said, look, you have to understand, even though the armed forces, the 40% or more of the armed forces are people of color, the combat units that, like the one he ran in Afghanistan, they're almost all white, they're almost all from the south or mountain states, and almost all of them for Trump. So I'm saying this not to be an alarmist, but I, we're facing a much deeper threat than we think we are. This is not just an election. And this is, I wrote the other day about this. this is not, we're not facing a war between the states. We're facing a war within the states. And, and um, we just don't know how this is going to end up. I mean, I really hope that the American democratic political process works. I'm not so sure... It will. I'm really not convinced. Um, and I, it's hard to say where this is going to go. Um, the, 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 um, all kinds of scenarios can fall out. So I think that voter suppression is one thing. Uh, these armed militias are another. The group in America that is buying more guns than any other ethnic group in the country right now are black people who are forming their own gun clubs, their own militias. Um, and you're seeing it across the country here in Maryland. Michigan, all over, uh, Oklahoma. I just interviewed a, a, a Native American, Native American and black, and black folks in Oklahoma who have formed their own militia uh, to defend themselves. Um, so we are at a really, really dangerous point. No matter who wins or loses. Um, so that's go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just saying that. I'm just thinking. That I think we have to be very realistic about what we face. Well, um, before we jump to Tom, I, I want it's it's so interesting. This, this day, as Nestor said, has been compelling for us. We started early in the morning, and we've had really deep – Maybe thirsty. On, I mean, this whole election. All, all day long. And Governor – mine? Governor, <laughs> Governor O'Malley. Governor O'Malley referenced your point, Mark, and then we'll jump to Tom. Governor said – he said, I know everyone's telling the Ben Franklin story. He said, but I think it's more relevant – 
today than it's ever been. And it's the story where the person says to Franklin, what do we have? And he says, a republic, if you can keep it. And O'Malley said that the governor said that he really believes he's what you said, Mark. He said, while we've said that for many years, this may be the moment, 200 and some years into our republic, where that question truly gets answered on Tuesday. I mean, it is so interesting how everyone is having, you know, Mike Barnacle this morning as I'm shaving says, I thought he bottom lined it perfectly. He said, I've broken it down to this. On Tuesday, Amer- on Tuesday, America is on the ballot. That's how simple it is. America and who we are is on the ballot. So, Tom, we've asked you to think about where you are. We've all, we've all had our cathartic moments. Do you want to curl up in a fetal position now, or are you ready to speak? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a good quote earlier today that said, I'm not optimistic, I'm not pessimistic, I'm committed. And, and I think that we need to, and I know no one on this call uh, would view it this way, but we need to remember, you know, we're not watching the last episode of Big Brother. We're not watching the last episode of our favorite TV show. We're, this is a participatory democracy. And there are still calls to be made, texts to be sent, dollars to be sent. Um, and in addition to that, you know, there are races up and down the ballot. I know this podcast is focused on the presidential election, and it is the most important thing on that ballot. Uh, but here in Maryland, while our vote may not be the deciding factor for an electoral vote. Uh, it may be for a board of education candidate. It may be for a circuit court judge, uh, mayor of Baltimore. Um, so, you know, I, I try to remember that, that, that pessimistic, op, not pessimistic, not optimistic, but committed, because we do need to make sure we're doing everything that Delegate Brooke Learman is doing. We need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to affect this result in a positive way, um, I know many of us in Maryland have friends in Pennsylvania. I mean, in some respects, that's the ball game. And if we can affect what Pennsylvania does, even in a small way, uh, it, it's, it, it could have a tremendous impact. So that, that's how I view this. That, that's how I'm looking at the election, because it's the only place I can be where I'm comfortable. I, I cannot let an election wash over me. And I, again, I'll say the same is true for everyone on this podcast, but anyone listening there is probably still going to be time for you to do something. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that point, Tom. We, uh, earlier today when we chatted with uh, Congressman Sarbanes, we did so by design because we had had John on before, but we wanted him back on today to simply talk about H.R. 1. And for those listening out there who aren't familiar with H.R. 1, they need to go look it up. It is... It is a package of what I think what John would call citizenship reforms to really enhance our democracy from making voting easier to getting a handle on campaign finance, every item to automatic voter registration, every part of HR1 is approved in the polls by more than 70% of the American public. There's not one part of H.R. 1 that's not approved of by 70% of the public. It was passed March the 8th, 2019, shortly after the new Congress began. It has been sitting in Mitch McConnell's drawer since then 
refusing to take action. As, as John said, that suitcase is packed. It's ready for delivery. It's ready for the journey. It just needs a Democratic Senate. So I would say to folks listening, if you have friends and neighbors, particularly in those states where Senate seats are up for grabs and you have relatives, call them because in order to have government work again, the Democrats not only need to win the presidency, they need to take back the Senate or else nothing happens again. And, and I would just encourage everyone to, to do that. Um, Brooke, what have we learned in four years about our nation? It's very precarious. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very precarious. We exist in a place where um, one uh, elected leader can cause a lot of damage if the uh, legislative branch doesn't stand up to them. I mean, I think that there were people um, who thought, okay, Trump was elected in 2016, you know, the lifelong Republicans in the Senate, there'll be a check on him. They won't let him, you know, do his worst. And as we saw, it just didn't work. There's been no check at all on any of Trump's, um, on any of his work. In fact, I would say that, in fact, they enable him um, much more and impress him to do more than, uh, so I think that what we've seen is that our democracy and our representative democracy is very, very precarious and that our system of government is very imperfect um, because of the power of the executive uh, uh, through the agencies and through his rulemaking ability. Um, but I think we've also seen that the American public is willing to stand up. They're willing to protest again and again and again and again, uh, which is really encouraging. Um, so, I, you know, it's, we've seen the worst of America and we've also seen a lot of the best, uh, which seems crazy, but it, I think it's true. And so my hope is that the best of us is what shows up on Tuesday and keeps pushing to make sure we win this election um, and that our win holds <laughs> um, and isn't undermined. So to reset, for those of you who we've totally depressed out there right now, listening to, uh, to Baltimore Positive, we have Candace Dodson-Reed and Tom Cole from Elevate Maryland, Ryan Miner from A Minor Detail, Lucinda Ware from uh, off the, right, fresh off the campaign, as I said, for Amy Klobuchar, working for the ACLU, the legendary Mark Steiner, and Delegate Brooke Learman. Now, we, we've depressed everyone. We've had our therapy. Let's, let's shift positively. And um, let's talk about, let's assume Joe Biden wins. And let's assume this is where Steiner's juices get flowing. Because now his, 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 progressive, his progressive blood is ready to go right now. I can see him. It, assuming that, we, that the Democrats take back the Senate and Joe Biden wins, what should the first 100 days look like? And Mark, I'm going to let you start. Because I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've thought that through. The Democrats be timid. The Democrats come out like a, a train or on fire. What, what should the first 100 days look like? Let's, let's, let's think positively. Think positively. Okay. First of all, we got to get to those first 100 days. Um, we We're assuming that's happen. happening, Mark. We okay, shifted. Okay, okay, fine. Okay, fine. 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 <laughs> fine. 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 Mark, this okay. is after they take away Trump's Twitter and put him in jail. All right. <laughs> then you so can we, go. We've won, Mark. We've won. So the, the very first thing that, that a new president has to do 
um, that Biden and Harris have to do is to get the government back in shape. I mean, every agency in the government has been absolutely undermined. I don't know how many of you saw the news about the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, what happened there. They canned all the people and brought in climate deniers to run that agency. So you, they have to reclaim the government, which is not going to be, that, that's me, A, that's, that's number one. Number two, they've got a lot of things to tackle. They've got to deal with the courts. They've got to figure out how they're going to, what bills are they going to put in for the judiciary? Are they going to say enlarge in, in the Supreme Court? Are they going to say make it term limited? They're going to have to deal with a, a great deal of stuff on the, in that regard. Um, they're going to have to deal immediately with, uh, Biden's going to have to show he's serious about the public option and put that on the table to say we're going to strengthen uh, medical care. We're going to have to see them really wrestle with and put through the Green New Deal and what, how they're going to define that. There are really a lot of ideas. What, what does that really mean? How, how do you make that happen? Um, they're going to have to ensure that they structure things so that cities like Baltimore and New Orleans and Chicago and Oakland get their Detroit get their fair share of this country and, and, and have a real plan to uplift people and uplift those communities. They're going to have to start making a real difference, saying we're not just going to have the same policies we've all, always had. They're going to have to make a real push. Because I think that the, the two things that sunk the Democrats, one, and, I, and I, I, part of it I put at President Obama's doorstep, as much as I, I voted for him twice, I loved him, tears flowing when I was in Denver in 2008, when I watched his family up there on the stage. But he lacked a boldness when it came to the economy. He lacked a boldness when it came to who, how he was going to help the common people, which, which couple that with the depth of racism in America, and we have Donald Trump. So the Democrats have to be really bold. They're going to say, we're here for the people, and we're, we're putting this legislation in to better America. We're going to bring us together that way. I mean, that I think are the things, the first things they're going to have to do. And again, number one, is taking back, taking control of the federal government once again. And they're going to have to restructure everything. Let's open it up to the entire panel. What, what, should, the, what should the Democrats do in the first 100 days? Jump in. Well, can I, can I just say, one has got, I'm just going to say one has got to be dealing with COVID. And, yeah. Um, yes. And, yeah. And, resolving, well, not resolving, but working on this issue as it relates to the economy and health disparities. And, um, and I mean, I'm looking at our budget at UMBC and, and how higher ed is being just, I mean, just decimated, right? So I think COVID is one. Um, I think two is reverse these disgusting executive orders. It's got to happen in the, I mean, I'm talking about like day two, that has got to happen. Um, and, and start to, I said earlier, you know, the healer in chief piece that, that's, that goes, that speaks to that. And I think that has to happen. Um, talk about then, specifically Candace, some of the executive orders so that our folks out there driving around know what you're talking about. Um, well, the most recent executive order, um, had to do with, um, Service. basically, um, any organization that received federal funding could not, um, train, talk about, educate uh, on issues related to equity and inclusion and diversity. 
Um, and so, you know, that's universities as well as federal agencies um, and any other agency that receives or any other organization that receives federal dollars. Um, and there's much more in that. I don't really want to get into the details that could be this entire show, but, um, but you know, these executive orders that we've seen over the past four years are full of hate for people who uh, do not look like Donald Trump and who may worship differently or who may love um, love someone, anyone, right? Like love differently than, than Donald Trump loves. Um, and so um, I think it's important to, um, to address those immediately, um, to give folks a sense of, of healing and, and, uh, and comfort. A lot of people are hurting, and uh, I think that's important. Others, what should we be doing? Uh, Ryan, go ahead. I and, and this might sound a little bit extreme, but the first thing that we have to do is, res is restore the rule of law because right now we are being run by a lawless president with an out-of-control Justice Department that doesn't give a damn about the rule of law. So I don't – and this might sound extreme, but I, I'm coming from a position of, of anger and just absolute torment over the last four years. On 12.01 – PM, if Biden wins on January the 20th, this guy who's leaving the White House becomes a criminal, <laughs> a, a criminal defendant in likely the Southern District, where Cy Vance, they should come after him. And I, I would love to see this president being walked out by federal marshals from the, <laughs> the confines of the stage, if he even shows up, in handcuffs. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I mean, we have got to see an aesthetic that says you cannot violate the law like you have for the last four years. And then we can get into policy for the next 100 days. You know, yes, we need to reverse the, the cruel and senseless policies of, of, uh, of, of the border, uh, the asylum policies. The, we need to get humanitarian resources to the border. Uh, we, we need to seriously look at immigration reform. And we need a national mask mandate. And Trump's public... Uh, charge rule that we need to protect protect dreamers. So uh, there's a lot of policy options, but first of all, we have got to see that this country and our institutions are protected. They need to show that you cannot break the law, even as the president of the United States, without consequence. Lucinda and Tom, how about you? What are you, what are you looking for in the first 100 days? Well, I, I'm going to cheat a little bit and, and say the 101st day because I think the first 100 days have been uh, so well covered. And, and obviously, the, we, we are about to see huge layoffs that were not seen and felt previously because of uh, the, the even small amounts of uh, additional benefit. So uh, immediately attending to COVID and its consequences. But I, I would say for the 101st day, and this is something Candace and I talk a lot about, I know Delegate Learman has focused on, I would love to see a concentrated federal initiative on housing um, and that the quality of life that you receive should not be based on where you can, quote, afford to live. Uh, and I think that uh, a President Biden would have uh, people that he can put in HUD and policies that he can implement that would have a tremendous effect on what our country is because a lot of the disparities that we see are disparities based off of zip codes. And we have the opportunity with a comprehensive federal housing plan to address things that have gone unaddressed yeah. for, for decades 
related to redlining and the systemic racism that is being denied by senators like Susan Collins in Maine, um, but I believe are acknowledged by uh, this presidential candidate. And more so, we need to capitalize on the greatest amount of public support that we've ever had for movements like Black Lives Matter, which uh, is attendant to this movement. So I would say on the 101st day, um, I would love to see a large-scale federal housing initiative. Lucinda, how about you? Are you on the 102nd sure. day then? I mean, why not? We can make this the 102nd day issue that I'm going to bring up. I mean, I, of course, agree with everyone else says. So I think I'm just going to take the avenue to piggyback on, on Tom at the end. It's about, for me, it's about police reform. Um, we, we, have, we have to figure out what is happening on the federal level, on the state level, and on the local level when it comes to police reform. Um, these issues in regards to police, police brutality in the community are not going to end. They're not going away. We are far from an answer. And we have a lot of damage that has been done and that will continue to happen. Uh, so for me, it's, it's wanting to see police reform and I'll leave it there because I want to make sure the delegate Learman can answer the question as well. No, I mean, I agree with what everybody said, I think. I think we need to look back at all those things that Obama couldn't pass because of Mitch McConnell and pick out what we want to pass while we have a Democratic majority and we have to get it done fast. Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't think this can just be sort of a, you know, when, uh, when President Obama came in, they did the stimulus package, which was huge. Um, and we got Obamacare through. Those were huge and hugely important. But I don't think that we didn't know how bad it was going to get, right, with the Republicans at that point. Uh, we didn't know that they weren't going to pass any more bills, <laughs> basically, for the next six years. Um, and so I think we have to assume that at the midterm elections, um, that there's a possibility that one of the houses goes Republican. And so we have to do everything we can between now and then. Um, because also, Democrats need things to run on. They need to be able to point and say, See this money that's coming in for transit, that's saving our bus system, that's building new housing, that's ensuring that police officers who break the law go to jail, right? Who, you know, all of these, that's allowing for immigration reform. I mean, we've, we've been trying to pass immigration reform for 20 years, right? Like, all of these things need to happen um, immediately. And then, while all those things are happening, I hope right now, uh, the American Constitution Society and all of our senators and all of our lawyers around the country are sending resumes to uh, to the Biden transition team for judicial appointments. Because I would like to see every vacant, I would like to see a judicial uh, nominee for every single vacancy that exists on January 20th uh, filed on January 21st. <laughs> well, Brooke, Brooke I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to interrupt you there just for a second because you've just touched on something. We brought this up earlier in the day as well. I, so many lies, you can't keep track of them. But one of the current lie that's actually making me ready to jump off the Bay Bridge is when the president stands up and says, yeah, you know, I got to fill all these judicial vacancies, 200, because Obama was too lazy to fill them. You know, in other words, inference, again, foghorn, not dog whistle. The lazy black president was too lazy to fill these judicial appointments when, in fact, as John Sarbanes pointed out today, all 200 appointments were sitting there and Mitch McConnell would not act on them. It's not as if the president said, I don't care about these 200 positions. They were filled. They were there. They were ready to be voted on. And Mitch McConnell 
would not act on which is well, one well, of Don, the other this great is lies. this is one of the things where we someone earlier in the conversation said we we focus on the presidency we're focused on biden tom you got the shirt uh we're all in agreement on that then there really is the rest of tuesday night for me is about all the rest of this and and i turned 52 this year and it's really taken the light of the last four years to really understand we say checks and balances and where all of that is as to the importance of everything else that happens here. Because if Biden wins and, and uh, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, and these are the people, and we're dealing with the same situation again for the next two years, four years, however long it is, not as much as we want to happen with a Biden victory for all of this you know, bloodlust that we have about law and order and Biden and Trump and all that Ryan says that I fully agree with. Uh, in, in, in my soul, I fully agree with all that. Uh, but if, if you don't win back the Hill, we're really in for even a worse scenario, given the fact that, that Biden would inherit COVID. No, no, there's, there's, there's no doubt that he inherits COVID and government won't work. I mean, we can't forget, and, and Nestor and I will get criticized. And it's not going to work quickly like your Orioles, you know? I mean, the turnaround's going to take a while. You well, know? It, can, it can work quickly, I think, as Brooke is suggesting and others are suggesting, Lucinda and, can, and others are suggesting. Can't without the Hill, though. It, it can work not without the Hill, right. which right. brings us to, let's assume, again, this is the optimistic part of the show. So let's, let's assume we <laughs> win the five or six seats and take back the Senate. I throw this question out for the group then. And, Brooke, I'm going to start with you again. Should we right away get rid of the filibuster? I mean, it's pretty much gone, right? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. It has no weight. There's no respect for it. So I, I don't know what purpose it serves at, at this point. I mean, it just doesn't – look, I think, I think there used to be a place for it when it was used with, in good faith. But, um, but the Senate, Senate Republicans have shown that they are not – interested in operating in good faith um, with their colleagues, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> but I think right now there needs to be a real reevaluation of, of the Senate rules and how the Senate's going to conduct itself going forward. Well, where, where is this group, uh, Mark, you alluded to it, where is this group with the issue, not only of the federal judiciary, but let's zero down specifically here, the issue on everyone's mind, given what we've seen uh, over the past couple of years with the Republican attempt to pack the court. Where is this group on what Democrats should do if they take control of the Senate regarding the Supreme Court? Mark, I guess you have an opinion on that. Mark, you're muted. Sorry about that. But whatever you said, whatever you said was really good. We can tell. <laughs> so if, if, you, if you would say it again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really of mixed minds about this. I think that one of the things that has to happen first is that all the judicial appointments not filled need to be filled um, and quickly and get that done if, we, if the Democrats take the Senate. I mean, I think, you know, Roosevelt tried to pack the court. It didn't work. Um, it's not an easy trick to do. It's not a constitutional question at all. But, I mean, and they could pass it. They could pass things like there are term limits for the Supreme Court. They could pass a bill that says we're adding three more justices to the Supreme Court. They could do any number of things. 
um, it would be a firestorm to do that. I mean, you're messing with an institution that's been around that way for a long time. That's a nuclear um, option, right, Mark? It's a nuclear that, option. That, that's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's that's real possibility. I think that. I mean, it. The Democrats, if they do control the Senate, and there's a real possibility the Democrats could win the Senate. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle. They're going to lose Alabama. There's going to be a couple places where they're really going to have a, a fight where they can actually win. Um, but they really have to be bold. I think everything about the, 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 all the, the picture everybody painted here, from dealing with the police to, to housing, all the rest, they've got to really be bold and say, we're here to help all of America. They have to... They have to not be seen in the rhetoric of, of hate. They've got to do this inclusive thing. That's how they have to heal. They've got to push the agenda that helps Americans. And I think they have to be very bold about it. Um, and I have a feeling that that could happen. I have a feeling that I think Biden in his core, even though I have a lot of discussions with him politically over the years, is a really decent human being. I mean, he's got a heart and a soul and he's smart. And Kamala Harris will take no prisoners. She's the one who's going to push the agenda, I think. She's going to be the force behind it all that's going to make things happen. She always strikes me as a person who can make things happen. You know, when, 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 Biden, when Biden said, Biden said he made a little thing when he, on the, in the debate where he admitted that the crime bills were a mistake. They need to play on that and build and make sure they change policies to make that real. I mean, there's a lot they can do. Um, but the courts, uh, it's gonna, I mean, I guess they're going to have to fight to expand the Supreme Court. They're going to have to do something like that. Yeah, I'm, if I could build off of that, you know, the nuclear option has already been deployed. I mean, the, the, the Republicans <laughs> have That's already right. blown this thing up. If you <laughs> glance at Brett Kavanaugh's disgusting majority opinion for the Supreme Court, trying to disqualify, not trying to, disqualifying absentee voters, which is based off of flawed and incorrect precedent, factual right. allegations that could have been corrected with a Google search. This guy is a partisan <laughs> hack. Amy Comey Barrett, I've tried more cases than her, argued more cases on appeal than her, and she wouldn't be qualified to work in many law firms that argue before the Supreme Court. They have already ruined this institution. And there was an article, there was an op-ed in the New York Times earlier this week that said it will be treated as some sort of violent action by the Democrats against this institution, but it is what is necessary to restore the Supreme Court to the purposes that it had served up to this point in time. When you have a Brett Kavanaugh up there, that is really just taking notes from the RNC and plugging them into an opinion without even proofreading the dang thing, mm -hmm. th that, that requires fixing. And, and Democrats will likely pay a price for it. As Brooke said, you know, we got two years to get some stuff done. But th that needs to happen uh, because what they've done, what this institution is, it is not the Supreme Court of anybody's recollection right now. This place, this, this Supreme Court is disgusting and, and Democrats should do everything they can to fix it. Well, one, one point before, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> I just said, Tom, you said it better than I did. Well, well, and, and you know, it's interesting, Tom, <laughs> when you say that, 
for, for folks that are listening, they can, as you said, go back and do a quick Google search. Brett Kavanaugh was one of the attorneys, along with Amy Coney Barrett, back in 2000 in Bush v. Gore. And very clearly, when the Supreme Court issued that order, they were very specific that that was to be a one-off, that they were specific that that, that decision was not to have any precedent whatsoever. And here's Kavanaugh, 20 years later, citing that, as precedent. I mean, it's, again, it's as if they assume no one has access to Google or knows how to use it. And, and Nestor, this gets back. But there's to, no price to be paid for that. Well, now. but it, you know what else, Nestor? It gets back to your point, And maybe you can talk to the group about it because you say it to me all of the time. You say people say we live in a problem of um, mis- uh, low informed voters. You said it's not that they're low informed. It's a conscious decision. No, every American, what I've encountered, and you know, this is my Dundalk background and you know, having just an incredibly wide group of people, they all believe. They would admit, well, I don't know the Constitution well, or you know, I, I failed eighth grade social studies or whatever it would be, but they all have a very, very firm opinion about what it represents in some way. In the same way, and I'll, I'll throw this out. We all know this. If I put the American flag up in front of you and say, what is that? What does that represent? You would get a thousand different interpretations, except that's where we are with the Constitution and law and politicians. There's a thousand different interpretations, but none of it's really based in a civics course that anybody could pass because if – the, if the election form were an eighth grade social studies test and we all had to take it on Tuesday, what percentage would pass it? So, I, I, I mean, of all Americans, what percentage would pass basic eighth grade constitution, the stuff that I was taught in middle school? How many people really know that off the top of their head? Like they, they might know the driving rules when they're driving around. They don't, but they vote. And I think the, the more we could educate people, the better, but it's not, they're voting whether they have information or not. And we used to say low information. Now it's literally, we're going to be the rest of our life uncoaching people about what the constitution is or what law is or why Donald Trump might be in handcuffs, Ryan. So we're coming up. We're coming up on the witching hour. Um, I know everybody's got. I hate when you things. cut me off when they're just like. I was re- ready to let them go. I wound the ball, ball of them. Let Lucinda say something. Right, let her, he, put me on, he put me on mute earlier today. So go ahead. Go ahead. Hit at no, it. Ryan, take it away. Ah, uh, well, I, look, I, Tom nailed it. So did Mark about the Supreme Court. We've already hit the nuclear button and they have yeah. dropped the bomb. We have no, what other option? And I, I don't know the tactical, the, the, the tactics to expand the Supreme Court because that will be thrown in the Democrats' face in, it for, until kingdom come. And it's just either we do it or you don't. And you have to do it in a way that makes sense, even if they add one, two or three seats. I, I don't know what the right answer it is. And I'm confident in allowing a lot smarter people than myself to come up with that formula. I will say that I want to understand who the heck paid Brett Kavanaugh's debt, okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Why are, I'm telling you, we ha- if they win, the Democrats, that is, they win the Senate and, they win the, and they're going to win the House and the presidency, then they have the opportunity to right the wrongs. And I don't want to hear any of this mealy mouth crap. Well, we've got to move on. We've got to be, I- I'm sorry. You, they have destroyed 
so many foundations and institutions within this experiment, and we have to put it back together in the next four years if Biden wins the presidency and the Democrats get the Senate. So I want to see what's going on behind the Brett Kavanaugh situation. And as Tom said, he's an embarrassment. He's a drunk. He is hanging out at the Chevy Chase Country Club with the rest of the uh, the white bread Republicans. And, you know, he's sipping down umpteen beer. I mean, everybody knows this. Bad wine. Bad wine. Ugh. Bad wine. Bad, bad, bad wine. Ryan, I'm sorry I threw this Wait, to have, you after have, all of this. I, have, I actually, I have two other I'm things grumpy. I would love the group to consider yes. um, that I haven't totally thought through. But well, I'm a big fan of the national popular vote, and I yeah. think if there's something we can do to move, and I think that most Americans also believe in the national popular vote, and they believe that we should be moving away from the electoral college. Um, The other way to think about this, if we can't move to the national popular vote, of course, is to look back at the Permanent Apportionment Act of 1929, which Mm -hmm. kept our congressional seats the same number, right? We just reapportion, but it's the same number. So, I mean, another thought is to have a debate about expanding the number of members of Congress, Mm -hmm. um, because that would change the number of electors for each Mm -hmm. state and give the Senate less weight, um, which would which would frankly give more, which would be more fair. I mean, it would be more about um, the number of people who actually lived in the states rather than um, just the Senate uh, weighing in so heavily. So I think there are a number of things to actually make democracy, our representative democracy work better uh, and be more representative that I would, that I would like to also see debated and, and action being taken on as well. Okay. So and also throw in some throw in some Candy. state. I was just gonna say throw in some statehood for with uh, for DC. DC, DC statehood. Absolutely. No, I was just gonna say the only point I was gonna make, and because I agree with with everything um, that uh, I was about to say, colleagues, that the uh, that everyone else has said. Um, I think Lucinda at the beginning of this said something like, you know, we're not going back to normal, right? Like right. we're not going back to normal, and so if we're not going back to normal, we have two years to fix everything and also expand beyond what normal was at one point. And so for that reason, I think certainly uh, address the Supreme Court, certainly look at what Brooke was talking about um, and, and Mark and Ryan as well. You know, all of those things so important as we go forward. Brooke, your, your comment on the Electoral College and the apportionment, I love the, the view of the Apportionment Act. I hope that gains some traction and we see more about that. Interestingly enough, I read an article the other day that really got my attention, and it said, this could be one of those really strange times in American history, and that if indeed the shift to blue is true in Georgia, Texas, Texas. and Arizona, and Governor O'Malley today said he had recently spoken with Beto O'Rourke, who said the shift to blue in Texas is indeed true. And they may not get to the finish line this time, but they may. But the early vote totals are incredible at Texas if you go and look at them. But the the premise of this article was it would be the most dramatic shift in philosophy that you've ever seen. That if Republicans come to the conclusion that Texas is indeed blue for the foreseeable future, they will be the ones clamoring for an end to the Electoral College. Because they will realize there is no map that will allow them to win the presidency if Texas is permanently 
blue. And I thought that would truly, that would be up is down and, and down is up. Uh, so as we, as we wind up, each one of you take, you run into a, we finish up now, we run into a, a lot of people are going to hear this. So you run into an undecided voter. I don't believe there are any left, but let's assume, let's play a parlor game and assume there is one. And you run into them this weekend and they say to you, Candace, and we're going to go around the room, why are you voting for Biden over Trump? Give them 20 to 30 seconds. You don't have a lot of time. You're in the supermarket. Tell them why they should vote for Biden over Donald Trump. Um, I'm voting for values. I think you should also vote for values and for the soul of our country, period. Mark? Oh, God. Who am I talking to? You're ta- you ran into somebody <laughs> in the supermarket and they say, hey, I've heard you on the radio. Who are you voting for and why? Give it to them in 20 or 30 seconds because you've got to get home. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I say? I mean, I, to somebody who's undecided. Well, let me, put, let me put it this way. One of the things I would, I, would, I would convince, I'm interested in convincing those who may not vote, but who would lean towards Democrats but are not voting, so they think it doesn't make any difference, to talk to them. That's, that's the people I want to get to, to say, look, what we're facing now is an abyss. We're on the precipice. We, in the press, we're building a country that is for all of us, that we can push ahead and fight for and fight with each other for, or we're going to see some dark days. We don't need dark days. We've got to open the light. We need light. Help us bring the light to us. I'm more interested in talking to, to people who are libertarian and on the left who are just confused about what to do on, on Tuesday. There you go. Ryan Miner, you run into somebody, one of your old buddies from Western Maryland. They're still undecided. What do you tell them? Well, first of all, I would tell them to eat at Dan's restaurant in Tap House. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what would they thing, order, by the way? <laughs> they would. For me, it would be the salmon, and I, I hear the scallops are really good. Um, <laughs> I don't think that I'm going to make any sort of profound, monumental, game-changing statement other than I, I've already voted for Joe Biden. In 2016, I voted for Hillary Clinton, and it was really the first time I voted for a Democratic presidential candidate. We don't have a choice other than we can either reconstruct. I mean, this is like a a phase of history where we have to look and say, so much damage has been done. We have someone who believes in the institutions of our government, who's going to return things back to some sort of normality, though it's going to still be different. And someone who that we can look at our, our sons and our daughters, and I saw Brooke's young daughter, my daughter, and say, I am proud of this person, even if I disagree with him, standing at the podium and delivering a national address. I can't say that about this president. We have got to return character to the White House. It matters. Everything else from there flows. I got that vibe when I saw Obama last week speak, right? I think we all saw that again and said, where was that, right? Yeah, what what happened? Tom Cole. Yeah, so I actually have talked to a a number of undecided voters uh, over the last uh, couple weeks, and and my quick answer is is if you ever want to vote again, vote for Joe Biden. If if you don't want to (laughs) franchise vote for for the other guy. But but I think the the better answer and the the more in-depth answer for those that want to talk about it is, if you want the president that is going to bet on America's strength, 
that we have the strength to take asylees from Guatemala, that we have the strength to take care of our least fortunate, that we have the strength to take on historic and systemic racism, you vote for Joe Biden. If you believe America is weak and it needs to hide and it needs to put up walls and it needs to run away from the challenges that we have, go ahead and vote for Trump because he's just going to make America smaller and smaller uh, and, and more scared as time goes on. Sure. Now look at Brooke Learman. What do you say? You're muted, Brooke. Brooke you're muted. Sorry, sorry. Yep. <laughs> um, I actually agree with Tom. Um, and I talk, when I talk to people, I talk a lot about, you know, I want a president who really believes in Americans and the, and the promise that America can hold. And so I think that Joe Biden will, you know, work with us to make sure that COVID, uh, we have a plan to keep our family safe so we can reopen our schools. I want a president who believes in our transit system, who will make our buses run on time, who will keep our streets and bridges safe. You know, I want a, I want a president who believes in our healthcare system and is going to make your health insurance more affordable um, by, build, by creating the public option and moving forward from there. So I think that these are, you know, these are things that our government can and should be doing. It's like people forget that government can be this great force for good, that it doesn't have to be like a new horror every day. Um, and so I also sometimes think like, I just want a government where like, I don't have to think about it every hour. Like I don't have to worry every hour about what our federal government is doing, right? I don't want to hear about it every day or think about it every day. I want to just know that they're doing good stuff, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't really like politics, I'm like, oh, if you want to stop hearing about how awful things are, then you should vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> well, you know, Brooke, before, before we go to Lucinda Nestor, isn't that reminiscent of Governor O'Malley said today to us, he said, you know what, it's exactly what you just said, Brooke. Governor O'Malley said, you know what, I yearn for the day again to hear that the president's called a press conference. And I turn it on and he comes out and says, I'm giving $2 million to City X to improve their transit system. Right. I'm proud to have worked with local officials. Do you have any questions? No, yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> he said, I really yearn just yeah. for that little simple kind yeah. of make government work. Lucinda Ware, what do you say to folks? Well, for me, it's pretty simple. And it's, is our, is our life better? And is our country better? And it's not. And I can't find anyone that can tell me a way in which it is, in which we are, where he has actually made America great again because he has it. And if you can't answer that question, then you shouldn't be voting for Donald Trump. You should be voting for Joe Biden. Amen. Thank you. From, from, from the bottom of my heart, before I throw it back to Nestor, uh, we had this idea several months ago. We said we were going to bring together some of the brightest, some of the most passionate, committed people that we knew in the region. Uh, we got just what we expected was just smart, intelligent discussion from committed people. So to each and every one of you who made election palooza, uh, very, very uh, good for us, very gratifying. Thank you so much. Nestor, back to you. Appreciate you guys. On behalf of uh, Delegate Brooke Learman uh, and of course, County Executive Don Moeller, Lucinda Ware is with us, Mark Steiner is with us, Candace Dotson-Reed, Ryan Miner from Minor Detail, and of course, Tom Cole, uh, who does Elevate Maryland with Candace Dotson-Reed. Uh, on behalf of all of them and all of our sponsors and now pulling it together into one full platform, uh, we will have Election Palooza 5 where uh, hopefully champagne will be served, y'all. Uh, we are WNST.net, yes. AM 1570, Towson, Baltimore, and we never stop bringing together great people for intelligent conversations about Baltimore positive.